First they came for the socialists. And I did not speak out because I am not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I am not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I am not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. A poem by Father Martin Niemöller, Germany, 1946. It's called First They Came, and I first heard it in college in a World War II history class. I only needed a year of history in order to satisfy my degree requirement, but I ended up taking two full years of this class. It was an amazing class. We had a great teacher. His research was amazing, and his presentation was compelling. That poem is actually how he started the class. On the first day, he read the poem to us, and then he asked the class what they thought that poem meant. And the first of my classmates to raise their hand made the same mistake that I see so many people now making when they quote that poem. She said that it was a call to action in the fight against fascism. And my teacher asked if the rest of the class agreed. Most of them actually did agree. And I'm not really sure why, because if you read this poem, it's very clear that it is not a call to action. My teacher immediately pointed out, this poem was written in 1946. There really wasn't any more action left for people to be called to. The war was over. Interpreting that poem as a call to action kind of goes counter to what the poem is supposed to be about. This poem is an indictment of cowardice and inaction, and it was primarily aimed at the clergy in Germany at the time and also at Father Niemöller himself. He didn't let himself off the hook for not having done as much as he believed he should have done to try to fight the Nazis. It is a lamentation of that aspect of being a human in this world. Basically, he was lamenting that so many people were not interested in fighting against fascism until it seemed that they themselves might be targeted. And I share his concerns on that. If that is the only thing, if your moral fiber does not kick in until you think you might be affected, then the fascists have already won. At least, if that's the way the majority of people think. It was also a lamentation of our comfort with atrocity. 
regardless of, of who it's committed against. Human beings in this world today, especially on the right wing, are strangely comfortable with atrocity, with people being killed. While we're on the subject of religion and atrocity, I'm reminded of my first day of kindergarten, walking into that front entrance of the Catholic school. Inside, there's a short staircase, and at the top of that staircase, there's a water fountain. The same water fountain that we would line up behind after every recess, waiting for our turn to get a drink. Right above that fountain, the first portrait you see when you enter the school, after the big portrait of Jesus in the in the foyer, is a photo of Saint photo a portrait of Saint Sebastian. He was looking serenely up to heaven, calm, complacent, almost a pleasant expression on his face. And that was the intention of the artist. As he was gazing serenely up to the heavens, I believe about eight or nine arrows completely pierced his body, bursting out the other side, blood running down his chest, his stomach, his thighs, his sides, even his neck. He was absolutely pincushioned, annihilated with arrows. My little six-year-old brain thought to itself, buckle up, kid, this shit's going to get bloody. And over the next few years, that definitely proved out. And one of the earliest lessons that we were taught about becoming comfortable with atrocity was when God promised the land of Canaan to the Israelites. The only thing they had to do in order to receive that reward was kill everyone there, all the Canaanites. Every man, woman, child, even the livestock. Leave nothing alive but the fucking plants. There were more like that too. A story of a man who uh, found out that his arranged marriage, his, his bride, who had been promised to him, had actually fallen, fallen in love with a man from another tribe. And he found out they were going to be married. In a rage, he kicked in the door of the chapel where they were about to be married with a spear, and he impaled both of their bodies on it. The woman that supposedly he was going to love as his wife impaled on a spear right next to the guy that she actually loved right in front of the altar where they were going to be married. And God was so fucking happy about this that he rewarded this man by making the next several generations of his family fucking prophets Yeah, God was super into it. He was like, great job, fist bump. Amazing. 
And of course, we can't forget about the Crusades, which were taught to me in Catholic school as a positive event. I believe today, if it was taught the way I was taught the Crusades, there would be lawsuits. Now, I know today that they were fighting the, uh, the Muslims in the Crusades. But back then, I knew them as heathens. There's a lot in that religious education that served to desensitize me to atrocity, to people being killed, killed for an idea or an ideology, some higher purpose where someone above prescribed that this person or that person or those people must die for this higher purpose. This very comfort with violence, atrocity, and death is what Father Niemöller was lamenting in his poem, First They Came. So it is kind of ironic that he was part of the church, an organization or body or religion or however you want to refer to it that contained a lot of material that when taught as a school curriculum served to desensitize people to atrocity. I doubt he saw it that way, though. But, you know, maybe he did. The thing is, when people become self-aware and aware of their conscience and morality to the point that they are condemning their own failure to intervene in atrocity, there's a very good chance he did start to see the cracks in the facade of a, a religious education, especially a Christian one. But who knows? That's kind of a digression. That's not really what we're here to talk about. So I'm going to set that aside. It was not just, in my opinion, a lamentation of human comfort with atrocity. It wasn't just that. It wasn't just an indictment of the cowardice and inaction of the clergy, I believe it was also, in an abstract way, a message of hope. If you read between the lines, you can see Father Niemöller's shame, his regret at not having done more when it really counted. I don't know what was going through his head for sure, but I do believe that he hoped when future generations read his poem that they would realize, as he did, that future generations would have to face fascism. And I believe he hoped first and foremost that those future generations would, like his, have the luxury of speaking about that fight against fascism in the past tense. And if that is a possibility, if that's something we can actually achieve, I believe Father Niemöller hoped that future generations would take note of his shame and his anguish and his regret 
and do everything possible to make sure that they can write a very different poem than the one he did about their contributions to the fight against fascism. I believe Father Niemöller was hoping that future generations might write something like, first they came for a group of people for no other reason than who they were. And we saw that that was wrong and fucked their shit up beyond all recognition so that they could never fucking come for anybody again. I believe Father Niemöller would give just about anything to have been able to honestly write something like that. As opposed to writing, but I did not speak out because I am not a socialist. And that's all I'm saying.